Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 13 and uh, looking at the very end of that chapter, verses 11 through 14. I wonder how many times a day you are asked, or maybe you ask yourself by, by either checking your watch or I'm doing this all the time. I hit the button on my phone to see what time it is, or you look on a computer screen uh, to see what, what time is it. And God's going to tell us through the Apostle Paul here in this passage. Uh, this is a section of scripture that our men are studying in men's Bible study this week. Um, we try to read through it nightly and then answer various questions. And as I have been doing that, um, I found it both convicting and, and encouraging as I've been meditating on it and answering questions about this passage, uh, convicting in my walk with the Lord, but also encouraging. You might know somebody who's just bound up with time. You know anybody like that? I mean, it, it, is, a, it is like a constraint for them. Maybe they ask this question 500 times a day. They always need to know what time it is. They need to know when to get ready, uh, when, when to leave, so that they're their own time. Maybe even leaving early to an almost ridiculous degree because they're so focused on not being late. And you probably also know some people who have almost no concern for what I just talked about. Uh, no concern about the answer to this question behind me. People for whom appointments and schedules in their mind are just mere suggestions. Look, I'll admit I'm in the former camp. I think the Army did that to me. Early is on time, on time is late. That's what they drilled into our heads. Um, and I get stressed about time constraints. Do any of you remember that game in the 80s? Maybe you bought it for your kids or you played it yourself. It was called Perfection. It's a little plastic box and it had all these different shapes on it. You have to dump them out and then set, put the on button and you had a timer, maybe 30 seconds or so. And you had to get all those shapes in the right place. And if you didn't, get them all there and hit the timer off. The whole thing, the whole lid would just pop up and send all those pieces everywhere. And I'm, I'm thinking that's probably where my stress in regard to time comes. But let's find out what God says about time here in Romans 13. We'll read verses 11 through 14. It says, In that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. So right away, verse 11 we're first told that it's time to wake up. Verse 11 begins with a statement that Jesus' followers, those who have been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, that we know what time it is. That's what it says, and, and you knowing the time. 
Um, now you might be thinking as far as what specific time God's talking about. No, no, I'm not so sure I do know what that is. Well, hold on. He's about to explain it further because he says it is high time, high time for us to awake out of sleep. It's time to wake up. And so on this opening phrase alone, we can infer this truth from God's word that it's possible for Christians to not be awake. Otherwise, he wouldn't tell us this. It is possible for us to be not literally sound asleep in bed, but to be like someone who is. Like someone who is walking in the sleep. You ever know anybody who walked in their sleep? Don't, yeah, a couple of you. Don't ask Krista about that. I've got a history. Somebody's talking in their sleep. It is possible for the follower of Jesus Christ in this world to be so apathetic, to be so ambivalent, so distracted, from what Christ said our purpose is and what our priorities ought to be, that it's figuratively like we are zonked out in bed. And that shouldn't be the case. And that is why God has the Apostle Paul give us this. This is an alarm clock. He's given us this alarm clock here. We are given it because, unfortunately, it's not only possible, but it's a frequent occurrence for Christians. This world is so full of distractions, isn't it? Um. So full of things that we have to fight. <laughs> and we get tired. We get tired. We get weary. And when that happens, you can become unaware. In almost every commentary that I studied about this passage, I think it was about five or six, I kept seeing this phrase over and over. Uh, and that once from a couple hundred years ago all the way to ones written in the last decade or so, it would say this. A call for spiritual vigilance. That's kind of what they summed these verses up as. And it is a problem for Jesus' followers today. And it was a problem, apparently, when that commentary was written a couple hundred years ago. It was a problem 2,000 years ago when God first inspired Paul to write these words to the church in Rome. And he said, hey, it's time to wake up. Now, the rest of verse 11, and we look on to verse 12, it further describes the time that we are in and why we need to wake up. It says the night is almost over, and the day is at hand. It says in verse 12, well, what day? What time is he talking about here? And we can look back to the end of verse 11 for the answer. He's talking about the time when our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Are we living in the last days? We are, I promise you. You might say, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, we, a lot of Christians have thought that. Over, um, well, I believe so, but I also know so because God's word says that we are. It says that the last days began when Jesus Christ first came. That's when the last days began. We've been studying the book of Hebrews. That's how it opened up. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, it says there that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Well, if that was the last days 2,000 years ago when Hebrews was first written, are we in the last days? Yeah, we've gone even further along there. Um, his second advent can't be far off. And when it says our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, God is telling us that with each passing day, honestly, with each tick of the second hand on our clocks, that day is getting nearer, nearer to when our salvation will be full, when it will be finalized, God tells us about that back in Romans 8, 23. It says our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for that right now. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are saved and you have been since that moment that you did that. 
Um, your salvation is entirely secure. It's not entirely complete yet. I, I know that every morning when I wake up and I feel all those aches and pains. My salvation is not entirely complete yet. I'm, I'm looking for that day when he returns. I, I know that when I turn on the TV and I see sin going on in this world. It's not entirely complete yet. Not until Jesus comes back. Then, then I'll have a glorified eternal body. I'll be in his presence forever. That's what it's talking about here. That day, that time is what God is talking about here. And he says it's almost here. That's what he's telling us in verses 11 and 12. He wrote that 2,000 years ago. So it's even nearer for you and I. Um, and you'll be nearer if Christ doesn't return and we leave here and go home tonight. You'll be nearer. And if you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll be nearer. That's what time it is. And because of that, God says, hey, it's time to wake up. And then the second part of verse 12, we begin to be taught that it's also time to armor up. The end of verse 12 says that because we, as Jesus followers, because uh, we know what time it is, that it's time to wake up, not time to be lulled into any apathetic or ambivalent figurative sleep, what do we need to do? It says we need to cast off the works of darkness. We need to put on the armor of light. If we are in a war and we are going to battle, and that's the picture here, uh, and we are, that's also one reason we can become tired and lulled to sleep. If you are going to battle, you need to be dressed right. You have to be. You have to be equipped right. Soldiers wear different clothes, don't they? I mean, they, none of them look like you when they're going into battle, what you're wearing. I, I don't know what they call them anymore, but we call them BDUs. They're battle dress uniform. That's the camouflage type ones. And uh, we wore them in garrison when we were you know, here in our, uh, wherever we are stationed stateside. We wore them in the field when we would go out for training. We wore them on deployment. That's what we wore most of the time. When there was some inspection by the brass or some celebratory function that you were forced to endure, <laughs> you'd have to put on those awful class A's. Well, they're the ones the ladies like, right? Because they have all that pomp and regalia. You have that big fruit salad right here hanging off your chest that says, look at me, look how awesome I am, look at everything I've done. But no soldier that's worth a whole lot enjoyed wearing that, and not for very long. Um, no soldier would go into battle in that getup. They wouldn't. Uh, we're told here in verse 12, cast off the works of darkness. There are some clothes that we need to take off. And it says to put on the armor of light. Now what is that? We're going to get to that in just a minute because it's we're told what that is in, in verse 14. But first, let's pay attention to the works of darkness, what we need to take off. Rioting, drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, strife and envy. That's the King James terms. And um, when we come to passages like this, these are known in the New Testament as vice lists. or They're just lists of sins, and there's a number of them. They usually mention a myriad of sins, um, never all-encompassing uh, usually, there's specific ones mentioned for a reason, but you could also add any sin in any of those passages without doing any harm to God's message, his intent there. There's some old King James words, uh, rioting and drunkenness, and that rioting is just really, it's talking about living to party. There's even like a musical aspect to it about the songs they would sing when they would party, songs that didn't honor God. 
songs that would celebrate the sin that they were being involved in. And obviously, drunkenness, that's self-explanatory. We shouldn't be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit. Chambering and wantonness, there's a clear application to sexual sins and immorality. They're describing a person who has put no value whatsoever on purity and faithfulness. And then there's strife and envy. And those last two, I think, are self-explanatory as well. But, but just in about, in, a, in about every vice list that you come to in the New Testament where God lists these sins, I think it's so awesome how God just destroys our categorization of sins into maybe respectable and terrible, horrible camps. I mean, he puts things like orgies and drunkenness and what's been described here, wantonness and chambering, right next to strife and envy. He does it in Second Timothy. A list of terrible sins we'll find are even in the church in the end times. And what does he throw in there? Disobedient to parents, you know, just totally destroying any categories that we, we made. Because what he's saying is that these are all horrible. They're all clothes that we need to take off, that Christians should never wear. And, and if we ever find ourselves dressed in these, it's time to take them off because it's time to armor up. Now, it, when you read that part there, put on the armor of light, if you're like me, you probably immediately think of God's message to us through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, where we're t told about putting on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand in the evil day. And we studied that passage on Sunday nights um, a couple months back, went through each piece of the armor. And one thing we learned there is that really in every one of those pieces, what we're being told to do is to put on Jesus Christ whether it's the helmet of salvation or the breastplate of righteousness or the shield of faith, they're all founded in and empowered by Jesus Christ. So when we put them on, we're putting on Christ, just like we're told to do here at the beginning of verse 14, that we're to put on Christ. That's God's consistent message to us, especially through the Apostle Paul. When he wrote to the church in Colossae in chapter 312, he says, as the elect of God, you're holy, you're loved, put on. This is how you should be dressed. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, long-suffering. In the King James, whenever you come to verses like this of what we're to put on, a lot of times you'll find patience and long-suffering. You know what the difference is? Patience is usually about circumstances, enduring circumstances. Do you know what long-suffering is about? Enduring people. Long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. These, God says right here, these are the clothes that you should have on. Th this is your BDU. This is your battle dress uniform. Not apathy, not being asleep, not partying and drunkenness, not wicked immorality, not strife and envy of each other. Those are all clothes of the night. That's what the world wears. No, put on mercy, put on kindness, put on humility, meekness, long-suffering. Put on grace. The grace that you've received. That's the clothing you've received from Christ. That is putting on Christ. That's the armor of light that we are to wear as this day he's talking about here approaches. And I just love this clothing metaphor that God gives us. This is not the only place. It's probably found four or five different places in the New Testament. I love it because it indicates that these things are not just supposed to be internal values that we have or character qualities that we have inside of us. When he uses this clothing metaphor, we're told that they are to be the visibly apparent outworkings 
of Christ in our lives. You all looked really amazing on Sunday. You did. Um, it's Easter Sunday, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I am. I don't say that with any kind of intent to puff you up. I'm just, I am thankful that, that we come to worship looking like that on the Lord's Day. I think it's special. I do. Um, we came in our best, and he deserves our best. Walmart might be okay with pajamas. Look, if that's all you have, I want you to come worship here. But um, the reality is that people see what you're wearing probably before anything else. Before they can talk to you, they'll notice what you're wearing. Do they see you enveloped in Jesus Christ? God says here that it's time that they do. They need to see us armored up for battle. They need to see us with our best on, with Jesus on. We talk about Jesus being in us. We talk about Jesus working through us. But here we're told that he needs to be on us. It's time to put him on, Christian. And we've got one more thing, verse 14. It's time to guard up. When I was playing basketball, I should say, rephrase that. I practiced basketball. When it was game time, I sat on the bench. But um, when I play, they constantly told us to keep our guard up, right? Keep your hands up. You need to have them at the ready. And it's time to guard up. You might find yourself on point here so far, like, woo. And that's great. I pray that's the case. Those old nighttime clothes, they're no longer part of your life. You've long put them off, and you're walking around in Christ and, and with Jesus Christ on you. Everybody who sees you sees him. And the final phrase of verse 14 gives us one final command to respond to as gospel-transformed followers of Jesus Christ. It says, And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. God closes chapter 13 by commanding us to stay awake, to stay armored up, and then here by telling us to keep our guard up. And it's one of the most convicting phrases, honestly, in all the Bible for me. Because to me, it tells me of a sin before a sin. Uh, please understand, being tempted, being tempted is not a sin. Uh, otherwise, Jesus would have sinned. Being tempted is not a sin. Don't let Satan use that idea and any of the shame that comes with it to keep you down. Being tempted is not a sin unless, unless you willingly do the tempting. That's what God says right here. Isn't that a command? Don't make provision for your flesh. So what happens when I do willingly make provision for my flesh? I might not have even sinned yet. I've just entered a place of sin. And I've sinned. I've disobeyed that command. Uh, maybe you don't ever obey the lusts of the flesh that are a part of, of our old sin nature that we still battle. But did you willingly, intentionally go looking for sin or knowingly put yourself in a place where you were likely to? And God says here, God says here that's a sin. It's a sin before the sin because it, ev it eventually it will lead to sin. Your mind is not on God in such a situation. <laughs> this, I cannot think of a single instance when your mind would be on God. And since it's a sin, it needs to be handled like any other sin. We need to run to the cross of Jesus Christ, the throne of grace, and in confession and repentance, uh, receive his full and free forgiveness when we find ourselves making provision. Can I tell you what this sin looks like in my life? Uh, it's just one way. It probably has many manifestations. This is one way that making provision for the flesh manifests itself as a sin for me. And really, it's just going back to verse 11. It's being asleep. 
I don't mean in bed, but maybe in, in boredom. It's true, idle hands or the devil's workshop. That's the living Bible paraphrase of Proverbs 16, 27 to 29. And I'm not talking about like uh, laziness here, abject laziness. I, I've got plenty to do, and I do my best to do that plenty each and every day. Um, I'm talking about what God was talking about in verse 11 and 12, that, that figurative sleep that we can find ourselves in. Carelessness in our Christianity. That's making provision for the flesh. Um, having any confidence in my, in my Christianity that's not based on Jesus Christ, maybe based on me and my own strength or my own faith. Um, maybe thinking I'm all good right now because I, I do have all those clothes put off and I have Christ put on. I'm all good. Don't, mm, God's saying here, don't be careless. Be careful. Be full of care. And I know I'm not alone because God God gave this command in verse 14 to Christians. He's given it to us for 2,000 years. Um, Pastor Paul Washer once said, All of my weekdays as a Christian, they have this as a common cause. I have neglected communion with my God through a neglect of the scriptures and prayer. When will I learn? And we could say all of those times I fell, I was like, how did I get here? I was doing so well. All those times I found myself wearing the clothes of darkness instead of the armor of light. I wondered how I changed clothes so quickly. Every time it was because I made a provision for the flesh. I sinned before I sinned. I became confident in myself. I became careless. I neglected communion with God. So how do we obey this final command he gives us at the end of chapter 13? Well, we obey it like we obey those other ones in verses 11 through 13. We put on Christ. We do what Jesus did. How did he avoid yielding to temptation? How did he battle it when it came? What did he respond to the devil with? Scripture. He knew it. He had it at the ready. Did Christ commune with God, the Father, in prayer? It was his constant source of strength. It was something he was never careless about. Sometimes his disciples would say, hey, there's people over there I want you to take care of them. They want you to heal them. He said, I'll get there. i got to spend time with God. He'd break away from the disciples to go do that. Jesus always made time for it. And we need to do that as well because we, because we know what time it is. It's time to wake up. It's time to armor up. It's time to keep our guard up. If, if you haven't been living awake or armored up or on guard, I encourage you confess and repent of that this evening, even as I'm speaking, as we close. Come to your God of amazing grace.